to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we're starting a new series, Mission Impossible. Oh. Yeah, we like we like a movie franchise. We do. We do. So, and this is actually one we considered doing when Mission Impossible Fallout was coming out. And then they announced two more on the back of that. Like, just, yeah. And we didn't do it because life had gotten in the way and... We can't, we can't shove in six movies before we do that. And we're just like, okay. But now we're just kind of like, oh, man, we really love those action films. And we really enjoyed doing Bond. We're like, okay, this is a little bit of both. So why why not? Let's do it. It's fun. Let's go for it. This is a bonkers series. This is a bonkers series. I don't know if these movies are all good. Correct. I, I have not. I've seen the first one a lot. I know offhand that we love the third one. I know I hate the second one. I have really a we I have weird feelings about the fourth one. <laughs> like I I have I don't I haven't seen the fifth one. The fifth one I don't even know what it's called. And then Fallout. I know I've seen the first hour of Fallout like four times. <laughs> I have no idea how the movie ends. I just know that Henry Cavill is really hot and he has a mustache in it. So we can't be all bad. <laughs> Ah, well, we can get into all of it later, but today we are talking about, well, not the original. No. But the original film, Mission Impossible 1996. An American agent under false suspicion of disloyalty must discover and expose the real spy without the help of his organization. Yeah. This was a VHS go-to for me back in the day. I remember seeing this in the theaters. This was definitely a... Diana and her dad, and probably my brother, film, definitely rented a couple times because, like, there's nothing, like, uber sexual in the film. There's a lot of sexual tension. Sexual tension, sure, but in Diana's brain, like, that just kind of went over over my head, so who cared? Yeah. Wow. I've gone through phases with this movie. Sure. When I watched it when I was a kid, just super enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. Action-packed, tense as fuck, different thing that I'd seen before. Because we hadn't had the reboot of Bond, right? No, we had had Goldeneye. We had, but we hadn't had gritty Bond. Okay, for us, because we were still young children. I was 12. Yeah. So when this came out, so I hadn't gotten into the spy thing. I had seen Goldeneye. I enjoyed it. But this was such a different thing. And then the inclusion of the internet, which was still a pretty new thing. In, as far as like being a home thing, was like, oh, okay. It's funny watching the technology in this movie. Oh, the technology is always fun to watch. But it's interesting because at the time, it blew our minds. Oh, the graphics. The graphics on the emails <laughs> are just... Then he sent some Max? Yeah. Top notch adorable. <laughs> How he's searching for things. It's so great. It's so great. And I remember those days. I totally remember those days, too. So the time capsule aspect of thinking this was cool was great. So I'm here for all that. And then also the concept of the masks, which is something that they use over and over again and expand on throughout the series, is so cool. Yeah, they they set up something that made it franchisable in a, in a lot of ways. Which we'll find out was always part of the aim of this. Mm -hmm. So in general, we're pro. 
oh pro pro this movie like it's not perfect by any means but i'm very pro i remember watching it back when i was in college and, and i will say i sense this now that it feels like it telegraphs a lot of what it's doing but we expect the turns now i to this day can never remember when i'm watching this movie whether or not the wife is in on it <laughs> i never remember whether or not she's in on it or not ever yeah i don't either i never remember if she's a good guy or a bad guy and i don't care because i'm not focused on any of that because she's she really doesn't matter to the plot really at all because you could take you could take her out and it really makes no difference but she's a fun piece she's there for the misdirect <laughs> she's she's there as a part of the misdirect yeah. and that's great She's needed to help Ethan achieve the goal that John Voight's character needs. Here, the movie is 24 years old, and I'm still enjoying it. Yeah, what what would interest me, because that's like, I, I realize I've seen this movie close to 10 times now, is having someone never seen this before tell me, did you get the twist immediately, or was it not very obvious to you at all? Because, you know, funny enough, they spoil some big things right in the opening credits of this movie. I don't. Well, here's okay. Here's the thing about the opening credits. I don't think they so much spoil it. I don't think those are spoilers because those are also things that would show up in the trailer for this movie. Maybe. Because they don't like I hate that Emilio Estevez's character gets killed so quickly Uh because he's great. But also I get it. But they don't spoil that in the opening sequence. You see him on top. Like, all you really see of him is him on top of the elevator. Yeah. You see them on missions. Yeah. Which is part of, like, the highlight reel. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It would That, that would be interesting to be like, you've never seen this before. Tell me, did you get it or not? Yeah. Did you catch the twist early or did it take you by surprise? Yeah. Well, the budget for this movie was $80 million. Okay. That is big for 1996. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about a movie that's like, feels like it's on an epic scale, like a Titanic. No, it's not an epic scale movie, but like the people in it definitely demand bigger paychecks. Well, that's an interesting, it's an interesting note. The US gross for this movie was $181 million. Mm-hmm. And worldwide, it grossed Okay. They knocked it out of the park on the first run. I mean, I remember when this film was coming out. I remember 106.1 Kiss FM in in Dallas, Texas, playing the theme song, being like, listen to how cool this is and playing that score. The score is great, but also the the radio play that remake of the theme. Which is also very cool. That's that's what got huge play everywhere. Oh, we got to play it in band. Yeah. It was cool. It's be, fucking cool. And to be fair, Lalo Schifrin's original theme for the TV show is fucking cool. Yeah, this is just an update of it. It sounds great. It's badass. Yeah, I mean, this was a big deal. This was a very cool thing. And they, they took a franchise that at that point had been relegated to just like... Schlocky TV. Uh, Friday morning reruns. I don't know that it was ever schlocky TV, but it wasn't prime viewing for anyone. Mm-hmm. It wasn't it wasn't like known rerun television. It was one of those if you caught it in the late 60s, you were like, ooh, this was a cool show, but nobody remembers it. And they made it a fucking big deal. Yeah, they did. Now, the biggest reason that they got this amount of money is Tom Cruise. Hmm. 
Paramount owned the rights to Mission Impossible. Okay. And they had spent years trying to revive the franchise. Okay. They actually started developing a movie back in 1986, well before Tom Cruise was ever in talks around this. Yeah. But there was a writer's strike in 1988 that halted that project. And in the midst of that, Paramount decided to do a new television show. So there was a revival in 1988 with Peter Graves as Jim Phelps with a new team for Mission Impossible. Mm -hmm. That lasted a couple of years. And the original run lasted about five years. So Paramount wants to revive this. They just want 40 to $50 million range. But Cruz, when he starts to look at it, goes, no, I want it to be a big showy action piece. Yeah. He had been a huge fan of the show as a kid. And he thought it'd be a good opportunity for him. It'd be a win-win. And this would be a cool thing for him to get to do. So much so that this is the first Tom Cruise, Paula Wagner production. Yeah. This is the establishment of him as a producer. Of the Cruise Wagner production company. Like, he didn't take money for this. He took profit deals. That was a very wise decision on his part. Uh Uh-huh. Well, this, I mean, clearly he's he's going to space. Fuck. I mean, the dudes, because we've talked about Tom Cruise before as an actor, and I just want to say it. We do not condone, because I've bitched about Scientology multiple (laughs) times on the show. I'm fascinated by Scientology, just from a, like, the whole uh, concept of cults. Not that I want to be in the middle. Not interested. No, thank you. So we, like, I we're not condoning that at all in any way, shape, or form. And by all accounts, his public and professional personas seem to add up. His personal persona is that he's a monster. Yeah, and recently he's worked a lot. It's it's harder to tell now because a lot of the directors he works with are also Scientologists. Uh, I believe that's by design. Yes. And also to help insulate the fact that he's had some personal shit. But those reports were even true of like around this time. Yes. When he's working with people that are definitely not involved with the church, as we'll get into. True. It seems like everybody who works with him in a professional capacity says good things about him. Yeah. Whether that's just professional courtesy, means to want to continue to have to stay in the franchise. It, everyone seems to enjoy working with him. So at least there's that. It's always telling when you have a wide swath of people that rarely have bad things to say about a person. Like it's and a, and a professional. I I want to keep it to a professional I, I capacity. That's true. But it's like everybody, everybody who works with him comes out having like generally positive stories about working on set with him, and that he has a good work ethic. So like I I just want to make sure that nobody thinks that we are excusing the heinous shit that goes on with Scientology. Yeah, no. and we're no. Like, fuck Scientology. It's bad. It's super fucking bad. It's horrible. We're not condoning that in any way, shape, or form. Also helping with the budget and timeline for this film was that Cruz decided to start doing all his own stunts. Yeah, this is when that ego thing got stuck. So we're going to get into it with the later movies. Oh, I know. There's an ego level, but then there's also like a death wish level. Like, this guy is an adrenaline junkie extreme. With some of the shit he's decided he's going to do on these sets. Some of it is definitely that. I think some of it also is like, when else am I going to have the opportunity to do X? Oh, I'm, very true. I'm going for it. I totally understand that. 
Cruz told Paula Wagner, quote, I felt like I was 10 years old again. I thought, what would be the coolest thing to see? That's cool. He was excited about the gadgets and the ability to do all this new stuff. And I'll say to their credit, they do that, but they don't lean into it to where it feels cumbersome to the script, at least in this movie. So we're going to end up comparing this a lot to the Bond stuff for sure. Oh, yeah. I felt I really loved that the gadgets felt very purposeful. They didn't feel too Bond-like. Like, we're going to hide this and this and the pen and exploding car and all that shit. They were just, they were very much more function over form, which felt very American. There you go. <laughs> Which I liked. No, I absolutely agree. And I think talking about the writing and the director of this film, Mm -hmm. they got the correct group of American Mm -hmm. screenwriters and talent. To keep it from being too much of a Bond ripoff. Especially for the fact that a lot of this movie takes place in Europe. Sure. But... Well, but then, but then like the big giant heist takes place in Langley. It does. And... They all feel very American. True. Like all of our characters feel very American action styled, which is perfect because you need to set it apart from the very British vibe of Bond. Which, again, given that this came out in 96 after the fabulous 95 GoldenEye, yep. which was amazing, it's got to be different. It can't be a rip, it can't be a lesser version of that. The intention is not to be the American Bond. So one interesting thing, because there's going to be some trivia that came up, but some things came up about the original series. Okay. The original series was like a heist of the week. Yeah, sure. It wasn't as much a spy thriller as it was a con heist act, but being done by spies to get information. Sure. And so rather than it feeling like that sort of Bond or maybe the Avengers, the British television series, where it's very much that sort of smooth getting in, mixing with people. It was how do we get in and out as quick as we possibly fucking can? Because it was the mission is impossible. And so that's a very different American perspective. Sure. And they capture the vibe of that in a different way. It it, it has ties to that spy drama, but it's a very different vibe and thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And they set it apart really well. Yeah. Some other fun notes. This is the first movie with a release in 3,000 theaters. Wow, okay. So this is like the first Megaplex-style movie. Okay. And this movie was supposed to be released in December 1995, but after reshoots, location conflicts, and complications with filming and visual effects, it got pushed into 1996. All right. These are big-ass movies. (laughs) Yeah, they they really are. And that leads us directly into writing. Now... We start off by mentioning Bruce Geller, and I'm not going to mention him throughout the series, but he's credited on all of these because Bruce Geller created the original Mission Impossible. Sure. He also created the series Manix on television, which is also a pretty big deal. Okay. It's a detective show, but he he's a very well-established television writer and had two massive series in the 60s and 70s. So he gets credit here. He's on all the different credits for the movies because he built this thing from the ground up. For story and screenplay, we have David Kep. Before this, David Kep wrote Death Becomes Her, Jurassic Park, Carlito's Way, The Paper, and The Shadow. After this, and I think Jurassic Park is co-written because he also co-writes The Lost World Jurassic Park, Snake Eyes, Stir of Echoes, Panic Room, Spider-Man 2002, 
Okay. Secret Window, War of the Worlds 2005, Zathura, A Space Adventure, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Ghost Town, Angels and Demons, Premium Rush, Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit, The Mummy 2017, You Should Have Left, Untitled Indiana Jones Project 2022, and the forthcoming Bride of Frankenstein. Okay. He is the real deal. Yeah. Then getting story credit for this film, working with Cap, was Steven Zalian. Before this, he wrote The Falcon and the Snowman, Awakenings, Searching for Bobby Fischer, Schindler's List, Clear and Present Danger. After this, A Civil Action, Hannibal, Gangs of New York, The Interpreter, All the King's Men in 2006, American Gangster, Moneyball, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo in 2011, Exodus, Gods and Kings, he created the TV series The Night Of, and wrote The Irishman. Guys, these people don't suck. No! It's like, this was early for them, but they aren't crappy people. Like, they only got better. Those guys are good story writers. Like, they only got better. And on top of that, just to add a little flavor here, let's throw Robert Town on the screenplay. We talked about him as a special story consultant on Bonnie and Clyde. Before this, he wrote Drive, he said, The New Centurions, The Last Detail, The Parallax View, Chinatown, The Yakuza, Shampoo, The Missouri Breaks, Heaven Can Wait, Personal Best, Frantic, Tequila Sunrise, Days of Thunder, The Two Jakes, and The Firm. And after this, wrote Without Limits, Mission Impossible 2, and some smaller stuff, but he became a well-known consulting producer for Mad Men. He sort of was like an overarching mm. executive writer type for that show. He was Matt Weiner's go-to dude. Yeah. God, I love Mad Men. I need to rewatch. Oh, I almost want to like, ugh, I could do a deep dive of Mad Men. This is a massively talented trio of guys to work on this script. Where are the ladies? Okay, sorry. There is a lady uncredited writing the original screenplay for this movie of course were willard hike and gloria katz a husband and wife duo mm -hmm. that wrote and i believe won an oscar for american graffiti indiana jones and the temple of doom and howard the duck interesting so they've worked with lucas uh, okay that makes more sense so this is a big huge group of screenwriters no that is and the story is i feel good about I feel good about the story. Like, our villain has, I want to say a great, but a decent reason for doing what he's doing. Like, I'm getting picked off. My whole job becomes recruiting. Our missions are literally just, blow, like, he's getting bored. When you think about it, Ethan, it was inevitable. No more Cold War. No more secrets you keep from everyone but yourself. Operations you answer to no one but yourself. And then one day, you wake up. The president of the United States is running the country without your permission. The son of a bitch, how dare he? And you realize it's over. You're an obsolete piece of hardware not worth upgrading. You've got a lousy marriage and 62 grand a year. It's a very 1996 reason. Sure. And I mean, the stakes get bigger in the series. And and the same. it's the same thing with Bond, too. You know, it's weird to say this, but... It being pre 9-11, sure. this is a plot point that now doesn't fucking work. Because no. if you're in some type of military or intelligence, you have a job, you're set for life. But then, yeah, this would make sense. You're getting phased out. We don't need this type of stuff anymore. Yeah. So like it, his 
deal like the glamour is gone for him he's getting phased out he's aging out so it kind of makes it makes a lot of sense and i'm fine with it they get into this without all the trivia but the relationship between claire ethan and jim is not developed well enough at all no we could have used some flashbacks or some more exposition before they go on that first mission this is one of those stupid cases where i'm like a love triangle would actually be good here the only love triangle i would be okay with is one where we don't know that she's involved with jim at all yeah i guess that's the only love triangle that i would be okay with the fact that they are married and everybody knows they're married makes it really gross that he dies and then she's sleeping with ethan or that Ethan, who looks as Jim as a father figure, is now sleeping with his widow. That's gross. So I really appreciate that there's not like there's a little sexual tension. Sure. I'm like, that's valid. That would be really gross. So I'm not OK with that. I think you actually hit on something that was an original part of the script. OK. And they wound up taking it out because test audiences, it said it took him completely out of the story. Yeah. I bet you that time where he finds her, a like, when, when he finds her in that corner, then I bet you that there's a scene where they start making out. Of course. And it's at least implied that they have sex. And then the people are just like, "Uh." Yeah, that's his father figure's widow. Yeah. That's gross. I can can see that. That's inappropriate. And that's also, here's the other thing, that's his coworker. Also really inappropriate. Which granted, I understand in their line of business, there there are situations where they have to be like actors, amorous with each other and intimate in public. However, this is not at work. This is real life. That is inappropriate. Well, this is true, but also I feel like IMF has no sort of HR record. They should have the most stringent (laughs) HR. All of IMF is HR. Come on. Oh my gosh. It's like, seriously, I'm just, I'm playing devil's advocate I get you. I get you. I was just like, Um, that one, that one strains a little. Still, still, you know what I mean? (laughs) Inappropriate touching. It is inappropriate touching. Anyways. But I do feel like their relationship, it needs something to bind them together a little bit better. Well, I'm okay because he still doesn't trust her and he says as much in the movie. What I didn't get enough of was because he has to state it and I don't feel it from him is how much Jim was supposed to be his father figure. So I needed more hand-holding i needed more jim impressing upon ethan how much he relies on him how much he's watched him rise up in the agency and how much he's enjoyed like i needed more of that relationship so i needed we should have had a little more exposition of them training for this mission and like prepping so we could have gotten more of that flavor of their relationship so that when he died ethan would not have it there would have been no thought in Ethan's mind that Jim was behind this. Just a little sidebar off the main, the, the briefing mm-hmm. for them to have that connection and talk about how they're close. And you know, some of that is honestly that Jim Phelps mm-hmm. was an iconic character sure. to the people who had seen the show sure. and were the target audience of this sure. movie. But now that does not relate at all. Sure. Because Jim Phelps is no longer an iconic character. Or in lieu of too much of that, you could have had the other characters working with Ethan, because Ethan's supposed to be in charge, commenting on 
man, I wish I got more FaceTime with Jim. Like, you get all the time with Jim. It's like, yeah, I've risen through the rank. Like, Jim is, like, if he wasn't just my boss, he'd be my dad. Like, like more, like, other people commenting on that could have sufficed in that way. Yeah. So, like, that's that's really the only, like, story piece that I feel is missing. Oh, yeah. everything else works, the introductions of, because I forget everybody's fucking name. Like, why? I have lost that piece of my brain. Like, from all of these movies that we've, we've been doing this for three years, three and a half years now. It's, oh, man. Damn. Well, that's true. But the thing is, like, half of these people don't wind up mattering at the end. <laughs> true. But, like, being Rames' character, I will learn his name, I promise. You will, by the end of this. Luther. It's Luther. There you go. There you go. Thank you. It's Luther. Because I have seen some of the other movies several times. His character introduction's great. Jean Renault's character introduction's great. Like, it all makes sense. It feels very organic. It works. I'm here for it. So, like, the writing is really good. It's really good, especially for a giant budget movie like, like this. Like, they did a good job. And, like, our qualms are just so... They really are minute. It would just tighten... This, it would just tighten it up a little bit. I, I think I think that, and I think it's just a failure at the time to recognize. It's like, this is going to make your movie be longevity and also i don't know that they knew that ethan hunt was then going to become the face of mission impossible i know like nobody knew if this was going to be a hit they thought it was at least going to be decent the film started pre-production without a script that was approved by the filmmakers this would have been hiking katz's script okay all of them including de palma who we'll get to decided there's no story here Mm -hmm. we have some cool stuff we've got some cool characters but we have no glue we have nothing to put it together. <laughs> so Kep gets hired for a million dollars to rewrite that script. Okay. I mean, this is the guy who wrote Jurassic Park. I get that fee. Yeah. <laughs> that's a big deal. Like a million dollars for rewrite. That's nothing to sneeze at. Nope. But when you write Jurassic Park, you get to command that. You get to say, bitch, pay me my money. So De Palma designed all of the action sequences for the film. Fair. He came up with the major sequences. Kep and Town... Didn't like the story, so Town went to work at getting the signposts. He came up with the beginning, middle, and end points. Okay. He came up with just the basic plot structure for the three acts. Mm-hmm. Okay, that worked. I'm fair. And then on the side, Kep and De Palma worked on fleshing everything else out in between. Okay. The characters and the plotting. Sure. And then they all brought it together. Even with that, Town was rewriting scenes between takes on set. Okay. Just to get it all tuned up. Okay. Because Kep left early to go direct a movie that oh. he had written. Okay. And so Robert Town finished off the script as they were getting things oh, okay. put together. And this is one of those instances. I'm always like, mm, they're rewriting stuff during the filming. But these are guys who know how to do that and can make it work. Well, but here's the thing. From from the way it sounds, they were rewriting dialogue. A lot of dialogue. Not events. Like, they, they weren't changing um, the tone or the events of what was happening. It was, ooh, the words aren't working. This is what we're trying to make happen, but our words aren't working great. We need to change that. Let's fix that real quick, and then we can make every, we we can make this work. Because they knew the high points they were going to get to. Yeah, De Palma and, had a clear vision of what he wanted on, and there. that's fine, and that that works. Yep. Yeah, like if you know where you're going and what you have to accomplish, those types of changes on set can be fine it's when you don't know where this piece fits in the puzzle you're fucked (laughs) because movies especially when movies because they're not shot sequentially most of the time 
because it's always made a big deal when this film was shot in sequence it's very hard to know what a scene is supposed to accomplish when you don't know where it fits yep claire phelps was directly inspired by the character of vesper lynn of course i see that the plot centers on the knock list yeah which is actually a dead serious issue and a whole thing oh yeah Generally, any spy caught by a foreign country will be avowed in exchange for another spy from the opposite country. Yeah. Knock agents, which knock stands for non-official cover, are disavowed if captured. So they will be executed by whoever holds them if they're not acknowledged. Yep. And Ethan is a knock agent. Mm -hmm. So the knock list falling into the wrong hands puts hundreds of uh, high undercover agents at risk. It puts everyone on the list who's working undercover at risk. And this became a real-life big-deal news story when the Bush administration publicly outed spy Valerie Wilson, jeopardizing several undercover operations that she was help- that she was dealing with. Yep. Oh, W. Uh-huh. Yeah, oh, no. W. It's been bad for a long time. That, that was that was W, right? Oh, it had my to, yes. It had to be W. GW was... The TV cast hated this movie. That's fair. There could be some sour grapes here, but there's some points they bring up that's actually kind of interesting. Okay. Peter Graves turned down the opportunity to, to appear in the film. They actually offered the entire team... Cameo options. ...to come in, but they were going to kill them off in that opening scene mm. with Jim Phelps. Graves was going to play that role. He was going to be Jim Phelps and be the bad guy. When he found out that he was going to be the bad guy and get killed at the end of the movie, Graves was like, no. I think Graves' point was, this character has been well established as the good guy. He doesn't want to kill his character. He doesn't want to kill his character, but it's, it's also this thing of like, why are you making him the bad guy? We've spent seven years of television making him... Like this absolute voice of reason, because Jim Phelps in the show is like the very normal, straight by the book guy. Yeah. And so why are you completely going off image of that character? For fun. That's fair, but I think I think I I would I would understand why Graves would that might then say, I get where you're going, but I don't feel like I can go there. To which I argue, Bob Newhart, he ended his second show. By being a dream of his first show. That is not only an insane twist, but the most baller fucking move. Well, and it was also a direct reference at the time to other shows that did that shit. But it it was all a dream. Yep. (laughs) But that is the, that is such a fucking baller move yeah you know what a fucking baller he would have been if he had been like oh they're turning my tv show into a movie and i'm gonna be in it i'm gonna play the same guy and then they murder me in like the first 10 minutes of the movie everyone's sad <laughs> and then i come back and i'm the bad guy i'm the bad guy that would have been so fucking baller you, that was a miss like i get I get being like that character was so good, oh, close to my heart, but then is it like that's all fucking vanity? I will also that's all actor vanity. It is, but I will also say if you cast Peter Graves in this role ahead of John Voight, it wouldn't work. I agree. And if you don't have reference for Peter Graves, the pilot from Airplane. I totally get it. I do get it. Yeah, <laughs> but that would have been so fucking baller. Martin Landau, who was one of the cast members of the show, yeah, he was one of the ones who really spoke out. He was the one who said that they had a plan to bring everybody back. And they all were like, no. 
we're not going to just die on screen just for the first 10 minutes. I don't I don't agree with like bringing them all back to kill them. You should have brought them back to be like have them be like in the admin building at Langley like stuff. Have like, them be cameos. Have That's them, fine. Yeah, have them be cameos. Please. The only person you kill is Jim. But Lando's Lando criticized the film because of its premise. Okay. And I, I think this is an interesting idea he posits. Okay. Mission was a mind game. The ideal mission was getting out without anyone ever knowing we were there. Mm-hmm. So when he's watching this, he sees an action film. Yeah. And he goes, this was never what we did. Sure. We did a heist show. Sure. He's like, you've completely ruined the whole point of what the show was. And so while I don't agree, I think that's an interesting point he brings up. Well, and he's no, I, I agree with that. And the whole point is nobody's supposed to know we were there. And at least, you know, nobody in the world knows that they were there. But everyone at Langley knows they were there. Of course they do. But that's the whole that's kind of the whole thing. It It is a different beast entirely what they've created now. True. And that's always the game with Ethan is he's going back and forth between you're avowed, you're disavowed, you're avowed, you're disavowed. It's like you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. Like it, Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's just... This is a different series entirely, but I I get them bristling at that a little bit because they were like, especially when you do it for, you know, seven years, eight years of your life. I, I get it. Yeah, I, I do. The the worst one was Greg Morris, who played Barney Collier and an early black lead on television. Okay. Saw the movie at its premiere, left midway into the movie and quoted later as saying it was an abomination. Well, so. I mean- they were not happy. They, I, I get it. You held, you held it too closely. Yeah, you weren't, you weren't ready for it to be something else, and I, that's valid. That's fair. And speaking of it being something completely different, our director, yeah, Brian De Palma. Brian De Palma. Now we have never talked about Brian De Palma we on this show, not which feels odd. Uh, Brian De Palma is odd. He is a very interesting director facts before this he did greetings dionysus in 69 hi mom sisters phantom of the paradise obsession 1976's carrie the fury dress to kill blowout scarface from 1983 body double wise guys the untouchables casualties of war the bonfire of the vanities raising cane and carlito's way after this snake eyes mission to mars the black dahlia redacted and passion setting aside the highs and lows of this man's career (laughs) you were bracing for it right i I, you forgot that he directed that i whoa the worst movie i think we've ever seen that is is now i have to think is that the worst movie i've ever seen i'm not gonna lie that movie about as bad as slapshot that movie doesn't uh, splash. Slapshot makes me mad. I, I I watched this again recently for another show. It, it makes me mad. The politics of abuse and we're ref- sexual we're stuff ref- with the Black Dahlia. We're ref- referring to the Black Dahlia, which is one of the worst films David and I have ever seen. It's not good. Like we have talked, like we've talked about this for years. It had one of the best trailers because it made us so excited to see that film. And it, it was, was so good. It was so bad. I really hope someone like makes a good Black Dahlia film. Huh. That could be interesting. That was not it. No. But then again, I've seen Scarface. Pretty cool movie. I don't think Scarface is a very good film. People take it the wrong way. 
I think it's all shock and awe. Well, that's Brian De Palma. But no. Yeah, this I know. Movie. He, okay, here's here's Brian De Palma. He is very inconsistent. I don't think he knows what he's doing. I No, I do think he knows what he's doing, but I think he is style over substance. There is a consistency in his work, and it is explosions okay. Okay. of visuals and color over necessary substance as a director. Okay, new analysis. Okay. He needs a good script. Oh, you bet he does. Because this film is well-directed. Yeah. Now, he has a very decent cast. He has a really great script. You know, the action's fine. I don't think it's the action is overwrought. I don't think the action goes on too long, which is not what I can say about some other submissions into this franchise. <laughs> so that has to be him and the editing. So one of the funniest things is at the time, he, he told reporters, he was like, I, I, I needed a hit. He needed the money. Like, he had made some pretty decent big money movies with, like, Carlito's Way and The Untouchables, which he won an Oscar for. Mm -hmm. But, like, he hadn't really done a whole lot. And he's like, I needed a hit movie. (laughs) So he signed on to this project. I think what's great is it's not just that he needs a good script. He needs solid screenwriters that he respects to be working with him. That's fair. He needs somebody in that room checking him. Because if not, if he's left to his own devices, uh-huh. it's going to be all flash and nothing to hang on to. Hmm. And that's the Black Dahlia. Yeah. Like say, saying everything we want about Black Dahlia, it does look gorgeous. True. But there's nothing there. And so I think he just he has the right people and the right egos in the room, including Tom Cruise mm-hmm. producing this movie, who's going to have a strong grip on it to be able to guide it and make it work. And I think that's where the really solid directing comes through from him. And, you know, I haven't seen all of these other movies, but I feel like if you examine it, it's like, this might be one of the strongest entries in his entire filmography. It's good. It is good. And this is a guy that studied in film schools because of the techniques he uses. Hmm. I mean, just because of the visual stuff he puts in his movies. He is a well-regarded director. But yeah, this is this is a really strong directing effort from him. It just... It, it's not too much. It's even-handed from him, which is hard. Paramount asked Reza Badigi, who directed more episodes of the TV show than anyone else, to come in and act as a consultant for the film. Okay. So De Palma approached him on set when he showed up the first day and said, Hey, I really appreciate what you did. I think you did an amazing job. Then he said, This movie is going to be nothing like the television show, and that if you're on set, it's going to make both me and you uncomfortable. That's very wise. Badee looked at him, thanked him for his honesty, walked off set, and never showed up again. No, that's very wise. <laughs> I, I love that. No, I do too, because it's like, I totally get why you would want me here, but no. But no. Well, it's to Pullman being like, I know the producers thought you should come in, but he's like, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're here, you're going to hate what we're doing. Like, you and I should have some conversations. And we can talk. He's like, I love the TV show. You did an amazing job. This is not that. You don't want to be here. No. And I think when when Reza heard that, he was like, no, I don't want to be here. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. Thanks. (sighs) Yeah. Sometimes that feels like egotistical, but I was like, no, "No, that's just that's just director respect. No, that's like that's like 
I'm respecting your time and oh, yeah. your feelings. Yeah. And also, I'm respecting your work because I don't want you to sit there being mad and insulted by what I'm doing because it, what I'm doing has nothing to do with disrespecting what you do. And I don't want to feel hesitant to pull the trigger on an idea that I have. Like, I need to do my job and yeah. I can't do that with you here. Yeah, well, so, that's cool. Smart stuff. De Palma wanted to film in Prague and convinced Cruz to do it because it hadn't been featured in Hollywood very much. That's true. So he thought it'd be a perfect place to set the film. Cool. Maybe he also just wanted a free trip to Prague. Cool. Prague's cool. I want to go to Prague. But that was a lighting challenge because Prague is not necessarily well lit in the evenings. No. So two miles of the riverfront on either side of the Charles Bridge had to be backlit to get the full atmosphere of old Europe. The preparation took about two weeks before they did 12 days of shooting along the river. They had 11 generators used to power hundreds of lights Okay. to get all of that stuff lit. And the lighting was so dramatic and impressive that photographers from all around the Czech Republic showed up to shoot the skyline because it had never been seen that well lit before. That's cool. <laughs> there were a lot of rumors that Cruz and De Palma didn't get along on set. And this got fueled even more when De Palma excused himself at the last minute from scheduled media interviews. But this was actually because De Palma was going through a pretty nasty divorce right after the filming was complete. And so he decided he didn't want to do that. And during that public withdrawal, he started to develop Snake Eyes with Kep. Okay. So that was his next project. That's a movie with Nicolas Cage. That is correct. Who could have been better? Ooh. John McTiernan of Die Hard. Oh, I was like, I know that name. Action hero. If somebody other than Tom Cruise is the lead of this movie, maybe. But the fact that Tom Cruise is our star with that intensity that he has, De Palma's style makes a lot more sense. I mean, like, Brian De Palma did a great job with this movie, so I'm not mad. I don't feel the need to replace him. Uh, John McTiernan, I think, would do a great job with this, too, because we've got, again, because we've got a great script. And John McTiernan does well with action. Yeah, I just feel like you'd need a different actor for his style. I don't think so. I don't know. Because here's the thing. I here's here's where things would be different. There would be more jokes. There would be a lot more humor. There would be a lot more humor. But here's the thing, Tom Cruise can do that. He can. He can be funny. He I... hasn't done it a lot. But here's the thing. That dude in Tropic Thunder, that man knows how to take make a joke about himself. Oh, he does. He had to learn, for fuck's sake. Oh, or he yeah. wasn't going to survive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that. I mean, he, he needs to work on it some more, but he, he did all right. And also, who could have been better? At one point, this was a Sidney Pollock project. Oh. And we've seen, with Eyes Wide Shut, Sidney Pollock did do some work with Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was in the movie. This would be... A similar vibe with the Brian De Palma. Because Sidney Pollock's, Pollock's action style work was very much in the spy thriller type vein. I don't know how he would do with the action, though. That's fair. He's done action on the edge for thriller I, type stuff. The ends did, but this movie yeah. wanted explosions. It wanted explosions. These three directors, very other distinct styles of movies. It, here's the thing. They all would do a good job, but they would have very different tones. One would be very serious and very spy focused. One would be spy with some funny. And then it would be Brian De Palma's, which is more action focused. Nothing's wrong with that. They would just have different tones. Oh, yeah. 
I'm, I'm not mad about any of those. It'd just be different. But I'm fine with what Brian De Palma has brought us. There's some cool names in there. That was, that was cool. All right. That leads to our acting. And we are here to talk about Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt. This is going to be our fourth time we've talking talked, about Tom Cruise. Talked about him four times. We've discussed him in The Outsiders. We did. Rain Man. We did. And Eyes Wide Shut. Correct. Wow, so fourth, fourth time okay and we're going to be discussing him in all six of these fucking movies well because he is the constant you know we've talked about sylvester simone more so okay <laughs> uh you know i have his credits here i'm not gonna bother it's tom fucking cruise you know who tom fucking cruise is y- you know who he is Thomas Cruise Muppeter the Fourth. Muppeter. let's just call it Muppeter. <laughs> Tom- thomas muppet man this feels like a culmination of all the action stuff he did before. The snarkiness, the broodingness, and the serious intensity. And it all gets wrapped up into one in this movie. There's another level that he hits later. This, he's so nervous in this movie. He's so nervous in this movie. He's very twitchy. He's not bad, because Tom Cruise is never bad. But you can tell he's so nervous in this movie. And it's because he's never done this. This whole movie is resting on him. He's not getting a paycheck for this, <laughs> which is fine. But you can tell, especially with all the action, he's not done this before. So he's hyped up. He's not, he's not relaxed in the fact that I can do this. You know, Tom Cruise running face. We're going to mention it every single time. <laughs> he has a very distinct running face that he cannot not do. When he is relaxed, he has that charm that is golden. It's 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 adorable. It is. It is so charismatic that I it's magnetic. I can totally see why people he's totally been one of my favorite actors. I've had an actor crush on him in in my youth. Oh yeah. Um but I, I, see, I see it it's in there and it's you get glimpses of it in the movie. I like it when he's being a little glib especially with vanessa redgrave with max oh my god that scene is great but that is where you can see the dialogue is great in that scene he's having fun as an actor i mean when he's with vanessa redgrave who wouldn't be having fun (laughs) and he knows what he's doing he's just acting who are you and what are you doing here i need one hundred and fifty thousand (laughs) dollars And you thought, if you simply showed up, I might give it to you. Why not? You gave Job 125. Mm, A penny drops. You are not Job. But every other thing else, he's having to do so many other things. He's so nervous. That's almost kind of fun to watch now. Seeing some of his later stuff to be like, well, I'm Tom fucking Cruise. Yeah. And and what I do think is that the movie feeds into that a little bit because mm-hmm. his character is completely on edge and paranoid. To a degree. I mean, he's out of his elements. Like, especially in this movie in particular. Sure. Later on, that doesn't play because, you know, yeah, he's been disavowed like five different times. Like, I don't care. But in this one, he is fucking freaked out because it's like, all of the people I'm closest to are dead, mm-hmm. and now they think I'm the enemy. Yeah. And he doesn't trust anyone. But you're right, is that we miss those charming moments, except the other one, I think, is 
him explaining the he- the the Langley heist on the train to Luther and Jean mm-hmm. Renault. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Oh, it's so Tom Cruise. That one is fun. But you're right. That he- that one is fun, but it's not enough big dick energy. He yeah. You see it in other movies for sure. That one needed just a little more cockiness out of him and we didn't get it and that's fine. But that was the most of it we got in this film. Yeah, I think I think it works for this movie. Sure. But if I think he kept that in the character, oh, it would not play at all. So who could have been better? George Clooney. Ooh, 1996 George Clooney was on ER? He turned this down to do One Fine Day. That movie is precious. It's a great movie. Michelle Pfeiffer, Mm -hmm. young Mae Whitman, yes. One of one of those great underrated romantic comedies. That's when he was still like just stepping his toe into films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm here for that. He was the only one that was like seriously attached. Okay. But... And then considered mm-hmm. Bruce Willis. Sure. John Travolta. Ugh. Nicolas Cage. Of course. Ray Fiennes. Ooh. And Mel Gibson. Yeah, those are the names of the early '90s. <laughs> the the mid '90s. Yeah. The '90s, really. Bruce doesn't work for this. No, it's too much like John McClane. And Bruce was just not old enough yet to be able to play like the Jim Phelps role. Uh, he's he's still... he still has hair at this point. Ninety six. Yeah, mm, not really. I heard with a vengeance. He still has hair. He so, was, yeah, he's starting to shave it down though. Travolta is Travolta. <gasps> no, Nick Cage. I mean, we say it every time. Interesting. Here's the thing. I don't like Cage as a spy. I don't like Cage as a spy. He's not unassuming enough at all. No, I like him as a vigilante better, which we saw in um, Kick Ass, mm-hmm. which was fun. He's wild eyed. Yeah, that works for him. Him being a spy doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It really doesn't. I mean, refines kind of makes sense. I don't know. Uh, this is this is around the English patient, so he's too buttoned up for that. Yeah, you know, Clooney could have done it, but it would have had been John McTiernan's movie. I don't know. Clooney's got the same playboy. I can be very charming. He's more reserved with his charm, but it's still there. But can he be intense and paranoid? Paranoid, yes. Intense, yes. Not. They look very different. His paranoia is comedic. See, yeah. burn after reading. <laughs> I, man, George, get back to work, man. I miss you. I know. I know. He had twins. Then we have John Voight as Jim Phelps. This is, I believe, the first time we are ever talking about John Voight. Uh, maybe? Yeah. Before this, he did a lot of westerns before he got his breakout in Midnight Cowboy. Okay. Then Catch-22, Deliverance, The Odessophile, Coming Home, The Champ, Runaway Train, Return to Lonesome Dove on Television, and Heat. Okay. After this, he's in Rosewood, Anaconda, U-Turn, The Rainmaker, Enemy of the State, Varsity Blues, Pearl Harbor, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, Zoolander, Ali, Holes, The Manchurian Candidate in 2004. National Treasure, Glory Road, Transformers, National Treasure, Book of Secrets, Four Christmases, 24, Ray Donovan, Woodlawn, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and Same Kind of Different as Me. What do we think of John Voight as Jim Phelps in this movie? Meh. He's like, insert different old dude here. Is really what it comes down to. So, okay. He was cast in the role because they thought that nobody would suspect John Voight of being a bad guy. Okay. In 1996, totally tracks. Okay. Because his roles have never been in that. He's either 
kind of a genial side character or a leading guy. He's never been the villain. So that turn, it just helps play into that turn a little more. But now, John Voight being who we know he is, <laughs> it doesn't work at all. <laughs> no. And he's not doing a whole lot with this character. He is playing him very straight-laced and buttoned up. Sure. Which makes sense for the Jim Phelps role. Because that's another hamstring of this role, is that there is a character to live up to. Sure. So, like, he has to play it very straight. He's so boring. I'm sorry. John Voight's boring in this movie. And that's not the writing. It's him. Oh, yeah. Well, John Voight's kind of boring as an yeah, actor. Unless it's Anaconda, where he's doing a wacky fucking Louisiana accent. I've not seen that movie. I've never seen it either, but I've heard his accent, and it's wild. I've not seen that movie. That's what I've just now realized. He's boring. I will say, early in his career, when he first got noticed, uh-huh. he had a presence and magnetism to him. Like, Midnight Cowboy, he is brilliant in. But mm. especially now, he's been typecast, and it's like he's just leaned into that typecasting role of just genial old guy so we have some who could have been betters i would like to know those names please al pacino cool Ah. no but cool give me some other grumpy old men michael douglas fuck yes now let me give you the third one and i want us to debate these two okay robert redford now robert redford can do no wrong stop i'm thinking about okay my first answer was no because i love robert redford I'll run for over Paul Newman every day of the fucking week. Thank you. This is an argument we continuously have. But if we're going with the same thing that 1996, no one would suspect John Voight of being a bad guy. Same thing with Robert Redford. Robert Redford shows up. He's a nice guy. Oh, no. They kill him in the first 10 minutes. It's so sad. He's the father figure that killed him. I'm sad. (gasps) He's a bad guy. That would be fun. That would be fun. And I'm going to be honest. I love Michael Douglas. I do too. Michael like Douglas is the bad an guy all the time. Act. Exactly. That's the other. Even thing. if he's the good guy, he's the bad guy. Here's the thing. I also love Michael Douglas. Every word that comes out of his mouth sounds smarmy. That's Michael Douglas. I love Michael Douglas. He's brilliant. He's great. It, Redford. Redford. Redford is the Redford. nice twist here. I'm here for Redford every day of the week. If you can't get Redford, Michael Douglas is fine. I will say he did he did have a bad guy role with indecent proposal. Um, and he also did this later on in Captain America. I know. One, he got to be the bad guy. I will say. And it was fun. I wasn't expecting it. I, I wasn't, wasn't expecting really... it. I felt it coming. Sure. But it, when it happened, I was like, wow, I did not expect you to go this hard with this character. Also, I was like, Robert Redford, no. I was more like, good for you, Robert Redford. <laughs> Hail Hydra. <laughs> <laughs> so America's ass. All right. We have Emmanuel Bayard as Claire. I have no other credits for her because she's. this is really her only major American motion picture. Sure. Everything else is French or Italian or European of some sort. She's hot. She is hot. She's hot. She has moments. She Here's the thing. She plays her part well. Yeah. She's a pretty face. She's not distracting. She's the hot lady in the room. Good job. Can I give you who could have been better? Always. Then maybe we get some depth. Juliette Binoche was approached by Brian De Palma. I feel like we could have gotten a little more. Not with the way she's written. Next to Kristen Scott Thomas, they look the exact same. Too many many brunettes. Eh. Too much. I don't know. Just give me. I just wish I had an actress who would dig a little bit deeper on this role. Just a little. I know there's not much on the script, but you can find somebody. Next, we have Henry Cerny as Kittredge. 
Zerny does not have a lot of big roles before this. He also does a lot of theater. His first big breakout role was Clear and Present Danger mm-hmm. before he takes on this in Mission Impossible. After this, he appears in The Ice Storm, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, The Pink Panther in 2006, The Tudors, 2010's The A-Team, Revenge, Sharp Objects, Ready or Not, and he will be reprising this role in Mission Impossible 7 and 8. Awesome. Which I was like, oh, let's bring Kittredge back. Yes. Kittredge is an ass. I'm here for it. I love an administrative asshole. He plays this part better than I think anybody's ever done it. Oh, okay. I love an administrative asshole. Yes. And I love the turn that you think he's the bad guy. Of course you do. Which he he is, but he's really just, he's trying to turn the screws on Ethan because he's all the signs point to Ethan. Kitcher's just doing his job. He's doing what he has been trained to do to get the answers to force Ethan to admit what all of Kittredge's evidence tells him. Absolutely. So, like, Kittredge is an ass. Of course, he is. But I'm fine with it. So, it's fine. It's a great misdirect. You survived. I'll show you something, Ethan. Since your father's death, your family's farm has been in receivership. Now, suddenly... They're flush with over 120 grand in the bank. Your father's illness was supposed to have wiped out that bank account. Dying slowly in America, after all, can be a very expensive proposition. So, why don't we quietly get out of here onto a plane? Love him. He does such an amazing job. Yeah, like um, I'll be ha- excited to see him back later. Mm-hmm. Also, he does get maybe one of the best lines in the entire movie when he sees Jim Phelps on his little monitor. Mm-hmm. Ah, so good. Next we have Jean Renault as Krieger. Before this, he does a lot of French film, including movies with Luc Besson, which leads him to La Femme Nikita and Léon the Professional, along with French Kiss. After this, he does Godzilla, Ronin, Rollerball in 2002, Hotel Rwanda, The Tiger in the Snow, The Pink Panther, The Da Vinci Code, Flushed Away, The Pink Panther 2, Couples Retreat, Armored, The Promise, and most recently, To Five Bloods. I forgot about Couples Retreat. Ah. That movie was cute. What do we think of Jean Reno in this movie? I love Jean Reno. He's a great actor. He, he really is. And I love that they saw what he did with Leon and mm-hmm. said, okay, now you're going to be the scuzzy bad guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep do it and he is he's just a scuzzy bad guy but in that magnificent french way also he fucks up the whole mission he doesn't so much fuck it up but he gives it away oh he gives himself away for sure mm-hmm. i i i just I, I adore him and that leads us to ving rames as luther mm-hmm. we talked about him in con air and he's gonna be in this entire series Woo-woo. It's Tom Cruise and Ving Rhames. Everybody else rotates around, but these two sticking together. I'm here for it. What do we think of Ving Rhames as Luther in this movie? He's great. He's so good. Because he is the tech wizard. Yep. Which is great. Which I also love that they've put a person of color as a tech wizard. And a beefy dude. A beefy dude. Like, he can kick some fucking ass. But then he also serves as somewhat as a voice of reason Uh to a degree which 
they do a really good job of not making him like an an oracle. Oh no, which can become a person of color trope. No, instead he is the one who's like, "You want us to do what?" It's like you fucking crazy. <laughs> I'm out. Nope, not gonna do this. And I feel like from what I've seen, that's his role throughout the entire series. It's like, excuse me, Ethan, what? You want me to figure out how? Nope, nope. <laughs> just nope, nope. He's great. I really enjoy him. It's just, it's just nice to see. He has always been cast as tough guy or like shadowy figure. Yeah. Just because of his kind of presence. Sure. And it's so against type. He was specifically cast because they wanted somebody completely against type for a hacker. Oh, and he's great. And it works perfectly. And he he also gets to be the levity in the movie. Hmm. Which is interesting because it's not like he's playing it for laughs. Mm-hmm. He just gives you that air of levity and reminds you of like, this is bonkers what we're doing, okay? Like, can we acknowledge that for a moment? Yeah. Before we go do the crazy shit? Where exactly is in Langley. In Langley? The one in Virginia, Langley. Inside CIA headquarters at Langley. Is he serious? Always. <laughs> it's it's a really great role for him. And then finally in our main cast, we have Vanessa Redgrave playing Max. Literally acting royalty. She's amazing. I love her. <laughs> a legend. I could give you a bunch of credits here, but she's she's been making movies forever and has done so many amazing things. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing here, this was originally written for a man. Of course it was. And That's- she plays it straight with whatever that character was written on the page. She does. And I love that. And I really hope the conversation was, there's too many dudes. <laughs> and Vanessa Redgrave was like, I'll do it. I just I love her. She's so great and it, it's a great it it is necessary for it to be Max, but like no, I'm I'm just not uh we need a lady. She matches Tom Cruise's charisma and energy. Oh, sure. And that is hard to do. Well, okay, it's not that. It's that he shows up with all this charm and she's like, <laughs> "You think you're cute?" Uh-huh. And she like says as much to him. She's like no <laughs> you're not cute to me I'm, until I'm, he delivers the goods yeah. and then he's adorable to her yeah she's <laughs> like i am not fall. i am not going to be disarmed by this precious little act that you're you're doing to me yeah and then she falls head over heels for him no she's just happy she got what she wanted yep but she didn't mm. Mm, sad for her sad face although she gets a deal, so it's okay. She's all right. I'm like, I like it. Max should get away. She, like, make, she makes her out all right. She's awesome. All right, we have our pawns. We start out in an uncredited role, Emilio Estevez as Jack Harmon. He's not credited? So he's not credited for a very specific reason. Okay. They cast him in this role mm-hmm. to create the shock when he was killed early on. Okay, so it was specifically a a bait and switch. They wanted to get at least one big deal actor. They actually get two because they do this with Kristen Scott Thomas as well. Sure. You've got really well-known actors. I mean, Kristen Scott Thomas is coming off the English patient. Sure. So it's like, everybody knows who these two people are. 
And then they're dead. And then they're dead within the first ten minutes in this big, huge way. And you're like, "What? Wait!" And they're in the they're in the opening credits, and they're so huge. And of course, they were. I don't know if they were on the. Po- I don't think they were on the poster, but like, they, you know, they promoted the hell out of those two. And then what? Well, but they didn't. I don't think they promoted Amelia, which is crazy to think about. But I think they did it specifically. And let him as uncredited so that when he showed up, everybody's like, Emilio Estevez is in the movie. Oh, my God. Because he hasn't done anything in a while. This was actually one of his last. This is probably his last major film role yeah. for a long time. Now, he's he's popped up in certain projects, especially stuff that he's worked on. Yeah, he's he's gone the directing route. Yeah, he's gone behind the, the camera years. a yeah. lot. But he this was his last like big film role. It's a shame because he's so talented. Like he. Especially now, he looks so much like his dad. He, like, in looks, he favors his dad, and he's got the skills. He does. Man, it it sucks to see him go so early. Because, like, we, we saw it in The Outsiders, and we see it here. Him and Tom Cruise have such good chemistry with each other. And he he can banter, and he's got that smile. Like, he, you know what he needs? He needs a family drama where he's dad. Eh? He needs like not a family dramedy. He like a parenthood. Yeah, you know, parenthood style show where he's dad. He's one of the dads. That's what he. That's the type of vehicle he needs. If if he wants to get back into acting, that would be the perfect type of project for him. If Put he, him on This Is Us. That's the show for him. If he ever wants to do it, there will be the line will go around the block for I, him. I, like he he can write whatever, he but can, he may not want to. <laughs> I'm not saying he needs it for his career. I'm saying that's the type of role that would be great for him in today's landscape. I would love to see him in that type of role. Also in our Arpons, of course, Kristen Scott Thomas playing Sarah Davies. Her quote on this film, I die on page 25, but I die in the arms of Tom Cruise. So it's worth it. I, I appreciate that. That's great. We have John McLaughlin making a an appearance as himself, the host of the McLaughlin group, mm-hmm. opposite Tom Cruise playing a senator. Okay. So Tom Cruise technically has two roles in this movie. I'm sorry. I never realized that as a child. <laughs> no, you, you didn't because you were just like, oh, weird. Because it's very Ross Perot as well. Oh, it, that's me. I was like, oh, that's somebody doing a Ross Perot impression. Yeah. And I... I'm sure at some point when I watched it, I'm like, oh, that's Tom Cruise. Yeah. That's just straight up Tom Cruise is doing this thing. But it wasn't until we watched this, I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) It's Tom Cruise made up to look like as close to Ross Perot because it's 96. So it's after that whole thing. And the funny thing is. And it's so good. Here's the thing. Tom Cruise as that guy is so good. The makeup is just good enough to pull it off. Yes. While at this point being very obviously a makeup. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it does catch you completely off guard. The thing I think is I always forget that's a thing. And then yes. it pops up and I just go, oh, that's right. They did this bit in the middle of the movie. Mm-hmm. Rolf Saxon playing CIA analyst William Donlow are... Poor, poor downtrodden analyst. Mm. Uh, uh, he's a character actor, that guy, who has appeared on this show. He was in Tomorrow Never Dies. Okay. So he shows up in a lot of stuff. Karel Dobry as Matthias. He is a Czech actor who we could have seen before in A Knight's Tale. 
Okay. Andreas Wisniewski as Max's companion. I believe this is the long-haired guy on the train. Oh, okay. He was in The Living Daylights, Die Hard, and he actually makes an appearance in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Ooh. Rico Ross as Denied Area Security Guard. He was a space marine in Aliens and has a big role in the Taco Bell Web of Fries shorts. Dale Dye as Frank Barnes. I think he's the agent opposite Kittredge, okay. the gray-haired guy. Dale Dye is a longtime military advisor and also usually has a small role embedded within movie military units. Okay. He's always an old guy that's with the unit somehow. <laughs> he has built himself a huge career off of that. And then David Schneider as the train engineer in the channel. He is one among the writing team with Chris Morris, who wrote The Day Today, Alan Partridge, The Armando Iannucci Show, and he also wrote the screenplay for The Death of Stalin. Oh, okay. But he has a handful of small acting roles. Hmm. So he is part of that little British comedy crew with Steve Coogan and okay. Chris Morris and all them. Interesting. Trivia. Trivia. This film and The Untouchables are Brian De Palma's highest grossing movies of all time, and are adaptations of TV series distributed by Paramount. Okay. Paramount acquired the rights from both of those properties from Desilu Productions. Desilu. So those two are completely connected through lines. That's insane. <laughs> After a $740 million loss in the second quarter of 1996, Apple dropped $15 million worth of promotion in this film. Wow. Because they needed a win. Oh, sure. So they had a computer game, print ads, a TV spot with scenes from the TV show made into a feature, in-theater promos, and Apple computers used in the film. Yeah. They went completely out. I will. Yeah. That and makes... you know what? It, it kind of worked. I get it. <laughs> I, I do get it. During the filming of the ceiling drop hovering over the ground, Tom Cruise's head kept hitting the floor. Yeah, I'm sure. That makes sense. So he came up with the idea to put coins in his shoes to get the counterbalance right. He's not, I mean, he's not a dumb guy. Smart guy. He really he's, is. He's not dumb. The vault's design was heavily influenced by 2001 A Space Odyssey. Sure. Makes a ton of sense. But the whole scene itself is actually inspired by a French heist film called Top Copy. Copy. I know. It's it's set in Hungary and it's just a group of thieves who I think also may be related to acrobats in some way. Okay. So it's it's it comes from this French film, which it, it's that's a very Brian De Palma thing to do is go find an old French movie and throw it in his stuff. Okay. He likes to borrow liberally from other movies. Borrow liberally. <clears throat> Still cool. The water tank explosion and escape from the aquarium were shot in different locations. So the actual tank explosion and the jump out of the restaurant were filmed at Paramount Studios. Sure, yeah, of course, because it have to be controlled. But then Cruz running into the street with the water going behind him was filmed in Prague. Oh. The exterior is Prague. Sure. The interior and the wide shot okay. is, on, is on a soundstage. That entire sequence was Tom Cruise's idea. It's cool, man. It's one of the iconic moments from this movie. There were 16 tons of water in the tanks, and there were serious concerns about the glass that was going to fly out when it exploded. Really? Because it was a real tank. Okay. And De Palma initially filmed it with a stuntman, but when they saw the shot, they were like, it's not convincing. So 
he went to Cruz and he's like, are you willing to do it? And it's Tom Cruise. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, I'm going to do it. But there was a better than none possibility that Cruz could drown in that amount of water that was rushing out. Yeah, I could see that being a concern. It was a very dangerous stunt for him to offer. But De Palma got the shot and was like, this is not going to work unless we put you in it. No, I, I believe that. Yeah. The disappearing disc that Ethan did, the little sleight of hand trick, was not a camera trick or effect. Tom. Tom actually performed that on set. That's cool. Yeah. Also creepy, because that makes me think he can do other sleight of hand crap. I don't like that. That feels like it could be icky. The train sequence took six weeks to film at the 007 stage. All right. So, Cruz wanted to use the TGV train. He wanted to use the actual okay. train. But authorities did not want that to happen. They're like, no. So, a lot of talking, they did a lot of negotiating, they finally convinced him they could use the train. Mm-hmm. Then, they didn't have a track available to put the train on. Mm. So, De Palma had to visit railroads on two different continents. He had to go to mainland Europe mm-hmm. and England. And Cruz had to take the train owners out for dinner to seal the final contract to allow them to use it. Big dick energy, man. Big dick energy. If Tom Cruise wants something, he will stop at nothing to try to make it happen. That's for sure. (laughs) Cruise also wanted wind so powerful it could knock him off the train, but they didn't have a wind machine that would work for the velocity. Then he remembered a simulator he'd used to train as a skydiver. Because of course he did that. So they found the one machine in Europe that, that was like that, acquired it, and blasted the wind at him and John Voigt at 140 miles per hour in his face. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, he is, again, this is where I go. I think he's just a complete adrenaline junkie. Oh, for sure. If he's doing skydiving training, yeah, he's an adrenaline junkie. And you know what? That's his choice. Despite all of that different filming, they actually only really filmed exteriors in Scotland. Most of it was filmed on a blue screen, mm-hmm. the close-up shots, and then digitized with the background by Industrial Light and Magic. <laughs> Interestingly enough, the TGV is an electric chain powered by overhead lines, but there's no power lines visible above the train in the film mm. because that wouldn't work. Nope. So instead, they pulled it by using a diesel locomotive. Mm. So that actually allowed the pursuit to go ahead at a safe speed and allow the helicopter to fly behind it. Oh, okay. The entire sequence involves 152 special effects for a scene that only lasts about seven minutes. Yeah. But at the time, it was maybe the coolest stunt sequence we'd ever seen. It was very, very cool. A helicopter flies into a train tunnel. It's ridiculous. Into the tunnel. It's ridiculous. This is officially the last major motion picture released on Betamax. Oh, okay. And this is the only Mission Impossible film where Ethan Hunt doesn't fire a gun, and the only without shootouts or gunfights. Okay. In fact, only five gunshots appear in the course of this entire movie, and only seven people die in the course of the film. That is low. It's low, but honestly, it's one of the things I like about it. Because the stakes feel real if somebody dies in this movie. Yeah. And that is Mission Impossible. Mm. So, we have a rating system for each film. I think we have to go with Exploding Gum. I like Exploding Gum. Relight! Relight! Uh, so, how many sticks of gum are we going to give this film? 
three and a half. Three and a half. Three and a half sticks of gum. Because like it's good. I still like I still enjoyed watching it. I still never remember if the lady isn't a good guy or a bad guy. So like our story qualms are very tiny. They don't ruin the movie. John Voight is boring, but I don't care. Tom Cruise is still charismatic in it. Like it's a good movie. The special effects are still cool. The the dropping down into the room is still cool. Even when someone spoofs that today, it is still cool. Someone doing that is you're still just like, fuck, that's cool. It's, you know, it stands up. I'm giving it a four. Oh, okay. I I was sour on this movie for a while. Like I watched it again. I was like, this is hokey and I can read everything into it. But coming at it again after a long time with fresh eyes, it's really good. It's fun. <laughs> it's a solid ass movie. And it, you know, unlike some of the other ones I'd seen, it doesn't get bogged down in a whole lot of contemplating over itself yeah it just rolls right along and somehow they just concocted the perfect mixture that really works and i think that might more than we can say for our next film in this series oh god i hate okay i'm just gonna say it now i hate that movie i hate number two so just get i'm preparing y'all now you're gonna hear me say that a lot next episode i think it'll be an interesting discussion to see if we can find some redemption in it <laughs> Doubtful. I'm just I'm calling it now. I'm just gonna complain for. It, it, I don't know. We'll I'm see. just gonna complain for the whole time. I'm just gonna complain the whole time. But for now, till next time. Bye, everybody. <laughs>